to Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. I want to talk to you today about the Word of God. I have a couple of more messages that I'm going to give to you before we're going to start to go through uh, a book as we, you know, go through by verse by verse. But um, today I'd like to talk to you from Matthew chapter 4, 4, the Word of God. If you'd stand with me for the reading of the Word. The Word of our Lord here says in Matthew 4, 4, But he answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Father God, as I just humble my heart before you this day, Lord God, my intent, my purpose, I believe the intent and purpose of the Spirit of God is that, Lord God, everyone in this room, anybody watching, Lord God, today or in upcoming days, would, Lord God, from this word today, they would gain a greater appreciation and love for your word. Lord, we only worship you, Father, Son, and Spirit. But Lord God, we come to know you and appreciate you and truly be able, Lord God, to experience you and grasp onto you through your word. So I pray, Lord God, may the appreciation for the word of God greatly increase today in the hearts and minds of every person here And Lord God, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So what what we have here in the scriptures is, it's essentially, this is God's guidebook, his textbook for life. And it is something, as as Jesus describes it here, he says it it is, you know, like bread, which you have as a, a metaphor here. Well, there's, a, again, a great truth, a theological truth, uh, you know, essentially a metaphorical truth and a practical truth that the Word of God is bread. And each day you need to bite into it. Each day you need to chew on it. You need to swallow it. You need to digest it. And you need to uh, assimilate it into your, into your life. If you, if you don't do that, I mean, think of this. If you don't eat food, you will die given over a, a course of time, you will die if you do not, you know, eat food. And food at its, at its essential, right, you break down food into its essential element, where you, you know, break it down to its molecular or atomic structure. Essentially, what it does is it, it brings physical life. It brings physical energy, right? How many of you enjoy food? Right, you enjoy eating. I... Believe it or not, I enjoy food. I don't, I don't, right, live to eat. Living to eat is a very dangerous thing. Food becomes your God. You live for it. But we should be eating to live. And again, I I enjoy food. Yesterday, I baked a a batch of my super cookies. You know, my batch of super cookies, you know how much it costs to make it? Cost like thirty-five bucks to make a batch of cookies. So you get you get about thirty-five. Each cookie is worth a buck, but they are they are super cookies, and the best ingredients that you know I, I I can find. So I enjoy I enjoy food, but again I I don't live my life and make my life you know a, a, around it. But as I receive it into my life, what it does is it gives me energy. It gives me strength. And Jesus' illustration here about, right, the Word of God being food is a, a concept that essentially we need to be feeding on the Word of God. Food is our energy source for life. It's our physical energy source for life. The Word of God 
is our spiritual source of energy. It's our source of power. It's our source of powerful living. And it's our source of life. So what I want to do is I'm going to talk with you about how, really how, to feed on the Word of God today. But what I'd like to do first is I just want to share a couple of passages with you in this introduction about the Word of God. The first one, Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirits, of joints, of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word there, the word there for uh, essentially active is a, a word that speaks, in fact, it's the word we get energy from. It's energist. The word of God is energy. And when we are consuming the word of God, we will experience an energy in our spirits, our souls, and our bodies, our minds, and our hearts. It becomes, again, the energy source of our life. In John chapter 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What does it mean to sanctify? It means to make holy. That essentially when we are in the word of God, that is where God is going to be working in us to make us holy because he says, I am holy, you need to be holy. And sanctification, that, that holiness work of God occurs when we're in. Now think of this, we are bombarded, bombarded, with sin temptations. We are bombarded with sin. I mean, it's coming to us from people around us. It comes to us through the media. It comes to you through your iPhones. And if you're not in the Word of God, that sin is going to penetrate into your life. It's going to infect you, and it's going to take control of your life. You need something to counter it. And the Word of God, again, is God's power source to counter that evil that is in the world. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We live in a world of, of darkness. Try walking around in the dark. What happens to you? You bump into things. You trip over things. I mean, you may even fall and hurt yourself. I mean, you can fall and hurt yourself seriously. Sometimes people fall and they hit their heads and they can even die. Well, that's, that's the world around us. We need to have a light. We need to have a lamp. And the word uh, uh, illuminates our path so that we're not stepping into the potholes, not being tripped up, not falling, and will prevent us from experiencing a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. Look, life, there is a, a level of pain that life brings. That is just something you have to grasp onto as a human being, that there is going to be pain that comes into your life. But when we're walking in the darkness, there's a whole lot more pain that's going to come into your life. The pain in your marriage, pain in your family, pain with your children, pain in your career. You're going to bring a whole lot more. You look at some people, I mean, they just leave, they leave a, a, a trail of pain behind them. Broken relationships, broken marriages, broken children, because they walk in the darkness. So it is the word of God that truly is the lamp that lights our path. In 1 Peter chapter 1.23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It is essentially through the word of God that we experience the new birth and salvation. It is through the word of God that we come to understand who Jesus is, 
what Jesus has done for us, his death on the cross. Think of this, without the word of God, we do not have an understanding. We do not have the wisdom and the knowledge that comes from God about how to be saved. So it's salvation that comes to the very word of God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. The word of God, I'll give you a, a big theological word, immutable. The word of God is unchanging and the word of God is eternal. It can't be defeated, it can't be overcome, it can't be eliminated. You want to think of the word of God and the attacks that have come upon the word of God over the course of the last thousands of years. The, the, the people who have tried to destroy the word of God, burn the word of God, right? You think of all the, the different attacks that have come upon the word of God. And the word of God, the word of God is like a great anvil. You take an anvil from 1600. You take an anvil that was made in 1700. Joe, remember you had an anvil and I was talking to you. I actually have a little anvil, but an anvil, how many hammers have pounded down on the anvil over and over again? And how many of those hammers are broken, but the anvil still stands? That is what the word of God is. The word of God is God's great anvil. And it, you know, it can be pounded, right, by, by Gnosticism, right, by agnosticism by communism, by socialism, by liberalism, by progressivism, by modernism. And what is all those hammers over the course of time? They break and they all will be broken. In Psalm 119 verse 11, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you eat healthy food, you eat fresh fruits and vegetables, they are filled with these elements called antioxidants with isoflavins. An antioxidant, actually, it is a chemical compound, a natural chemical compound that can actually surround what are called free radicals. Free radicals make you sick. Free radicals come through the environment. Free radicals might be coming through certain environments that, that, that you're in. But the antioxidants, they surround the free radicals. And then the body's able to eliminate them. The Word of God is a great antioxidant. The Word of God, it basically supports and energizes your spiritual immune system, just like the antioxidant from food, that empowers your immune system. But it, it builds an immunity. When you are receiving the Word of God, you're practicing the Word of God, what it does is it gives you an immunity against sin. Ephesians 5, 25 through 26. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. Notice this, with the washing of water by what? When we, when we come to the word, the word is, is God's great cleanser. Right? We at times are going to fall short. We are at times are going to sin. And when we come to the word of God... God will wash us and cleanse us through his word. He will wash away. He will convict us through his word and always lead us to a place of grace and forgiveness through his word. This morning I'm in Matthew chapter 21. What a beautiful morning, right? I got up at like 5.30 and had, had two and a half, almost three hours with the Lord this morning. And 
I was going through Matthew 21 in my devotions. Matthew 21, Jesus enters into Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit starts talking to me about how God, how God needs to enter my life each day. And the people are yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Begin your day by praising God and welcoming Jesus, welcoming him to come in, right? To come into your heart, to come into your temple. What does then Jesus do when he comes in? on that, that very special day where he entered in triumphantly into Jerusalem. What was the next thing he did? He went to the temple, and he began to cleanse the temple, and he began to cast out the hypocrites, cast out the phonies, right? Cast out the sacrifice sellers and the money changers. So the Lord speaks to my heart, right? I need to welcome him to come in. Cleanse my temple. Cleanse away, cleanse away the sin. Cleanse away the impure motives. Lord God, examine me and deal with me. The psalmist, the psalmist says, deal with my sin, but do it gently. Because right? God can sometimes do it very harshly. But just asking God to deal with me and to deal with my sin. And the next thing Jesus did, what was the next thing he did? He started healing all the people. You welcome him, you just welcome him to cleanse the temple and then you open yourself up for what you need and maybe it's a healing, maybe it's a blessing, maybe it's a word of encouragement and then you invite him to come in and to do his work in your life. But that's, that's through the word. That was my experience this morning being in the word of God. That the word of God comes and it comes to cleanse us. It comes to wash away our sins. Isaiah 28, 29 this also comes from the Lord of hosts who has made his counsel wonderful and his wisdom great. Notice this again, the counsel of God. Where do we receive the counsel of God? In the word, right? And the counsel of God brings wisdom. The Hebrew word hakma, that's specific knowledge. Think of this. Our world is so vast and filled with knowledge. But there's so little wisdom Right, there's so much knowledge. I mean, you, you've got at your, your hand right now, right, with your, little, with your little iPhone, you've got accessibility to more knowledge than all the people in history ever had. You have more, more knowledge in your hand than the Library of Congress has. So with all the knowledge, you would think, right, that, that we would be wise, but <laughs> the world is filled with fools, we can split the atom, and in so doing, we create enough nuclear weapons to destroy ourselves six times over. Our heads are filled with information, but we can't find our car keys. <laughs> you look at people, how, how they, they present themselves as being so wise. And again, the trail they leave behind is a trail of broken hearts, right? Broken marriages, broken children, broken relationships, but they're so wise. They're fools. They're fools. There's a lack of wisdom. Wisdom comes through the word of God. It, it brings a level of this practical knowledge of common sense for living, of how to live your life effectively, how to live your life success, uh, successfully, and and sexually if you take exactly what God said. 
a slip of my tongue. It brings meaning and makes us productive. And the wisdom gives us the ability to live a significant life. You know, again, you know what a significant life is? A significant life is different than a successful life. In a, uh, a, <laughs> in a significant life, I am a, I am a professional speaker by trade. I never want you to forget that. But the, the significant life is a life where you make a difference in other people's lives. You make a spiritual difference, a moral difference, a value into other people's lives than just a successful life. And I said it that time, right? Than just simply living for yourself and building your own kingdom. So let's talk about, let's talk about digging into the word. Let's talk about feeding on the word of God for the next few minutes. The first thing I want you to see, to really be able to understand the word, you need to know the author of the word. You need to know the author. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So the word of God, the word there is, is theos nustos. It means that it is divinely inspired. The word of God is the word of the Lord. The word scripture means God breathed over and over again. So you have this book, it's really 66 books, written over the course of 2,000 years by 40 different authors, written in two different languages, Greek and Hebrew, you'll see that it's, it's a book like no other book, right, that you have ever read. And it reads continuously, as amazing as it is, right, you have these 40, 40 different authors, most of whom never knew each other over the course of these 2,000 years, written on three different continents and different nations, different languages, and yet it reads like there's one author. And if you ever stop and you think about that, there's just one continuous flowing theme through the scriptures. I'll give you a little summary of the scriptures. God's unraveling plan of salvation. For this book is God's unraveling plan of salvation. The Old Testament is salvation prepared. The gospel, salvation accomplished. Acts, salvation proclaimed. The epistle, salvation explained, and revelation, salvation completed. And again, God is the author. When I was a, a young Christian, I was given a book by my pastor, and he said, you need to read this book. And it was a, a book written by a man named Dallas Mucci. And I read the book. And I walked away, I walked away with some good things. At the time, the way I would read too, I, I didn't read the way I read now. When you read a book, the average person usually walks away with about an 8% comprehension. And I would say that's what I pretty much walked away with. Didn't understand about really how to read and absorb the important information and take notes and create a table of contents in the back of the book. That's, I didn't understand those things. So I read the book. And then I met the author, Dallas Mucci. And Dallas Mucci became one of my mentors, great, great man of God. Planted churches in Pakistan, planted over 100 churches in the New York metro area. Dallas was actually a, a sports writer for the Boston Globe. 
And he then was offered a position, I believe it was under the, in the Johnson administration, to be a diplomat. He turned down the opportunity to be a diplomat. Instead, he became a pastor. Pastored a church in Pittsburgh and then became the overseer of the churches here in New York. He mentored me. He coached me. We would spend usually at least one day a month together. He guided me in the starting of Living Word pastoring the church, taught me a lot of just wonderful life lessons. When I got to know Dallas, that book came alive. I, reading the book the second time was completely different than reading it the first time. I got so much more out of it. My comprehension level just, just went through the roof. Why? Because I knew the author. And if you don't know the author of the book, right, this is foolishness to you. You ever see people who, they do not know the author. They cannot make sense of the Bible. It's just foolishness. But when you know the author, this book just comes alive to you. So you need, you need to know the author to be able to really grasp the scriptures. You need to come into a relationship with him through Jesus. Repent from your sins. Put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Believe that he died on the cross and was raised from the dead. And when you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus, he will come into your life. And now you will have a relationship with the author of the Bible and you will find reading it is completely different. Haven't you all experienced that who are Christians, right? Number two, the word is spirit taught. So 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual to grasp God's word, right, you need to be in relationship with him through his son, and you need to have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. It is, it is the spirit who is our teacher. The Bible is our textbook. The church is our classroom. You're in class today, class. And the world is where we go and live it out. But you have to, again, you have to be submissive to the Holy Spirit to be able to really learn the word of God. When, when Jesus was raised from the dead and appeared on that Sunday to the apostles in Luke chapter 24, 44 through 45, it says, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms concerning me. It's the entire Old Testament, that's Tanakh. And then it says, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. He's called the spirit of Jesus. He's called the spirit of Christ. He has the very same nature, though he's an individual person. He's a person just as Jesus is a person and the Father is a person. They each have individual wills. They each have emotions. They, they each have a, a unique intelligence, but they have the very same nature and when we are spirit taught, it is Jesus who is teaching us right through the spirit. So you, you need, you may be here today, you're hearing me preach the word. If you're sitting at the Lord's feet and allowing the Holy Spirit to teach you, you're going to leave here much differently than if you're just hearing me blabbing. Okay, number three. The word interprets the word. 
In 1 Corinthians 2.13, these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You'll notice as you go through the epistles, the book of Acts, that the apostles continuously taught scripture from scripture. So you go through the book of Romans, and I was doing this actually this morning in my devotions. I go through the book of Romans, and Paul is using scripture over and over again to make his points. So he makes a point, and then he's pulling from Isaiah, or he's pulling from the writings of Moses in Torah, or he's pulling from Jeremiah, or he's pulling from one of the other prophets. He's pulling from the Psalms. On Pentecost, when Peter preached to the crowd, right, they were saying, hey, you're all a bunch of drunks, right? The 120 came out of the upper room, right? They're praising God. They're speaking in other languages. So you're, 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 all, you're all drunk. And then Peter explained, this is not, this is not people who are drunk and filled with, with alcohol. He said, these are people that Joel described in the book of Joel, chapter 2, this is the effect of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And then he got into the resurrection. And he immediately went to Psalm 16, where it talks about the Lord's resurrection. And then he went to the ascension. And when he went to the ascension, he went to Psalm 110. But he used scripture to explain scripture. Be careful of anybody who stands in front of you and tries to teach you the word of God, and does not use scripture to interpret scripture. They take one little verse out of context, and then they start, they start chanting, or do, doing whatever, you know, whatever they do, babbling for, for 45 minutes. The word interprets the word. And if you should sit under teachers who do that, because we do not have the knowledge, we do not have the wisdom, to be able to tell you what the word of God means. But the word of God, tells us what the Word of God means. So it is the Spirit teaching us, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's why we teach here this way. The Word interprets the Word. That's why the more you understand all 66 books, then you'll start to make these comparisons. You'll always find yourself finding the support, and the Holy Spirit then will build. He builds that strength in your life. When he does that. Okay, number four. The word is learned in humility. In Psalm 25 verse 9, he leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The word of God cannot penetrate into a prideful heart. The word of God cannot penetrate into somebody who knows it all and has no room for God's word. And the truth is, true learning of anything, true learning of anything, you have to come to a place of humility. An illustration from the martial arts. So I studied boxing, did wrestling, did taekwondo. You start getting your belts, right? You get your white belt and your yellow belt and your green belt. And then I took up traditional jiu-jitsu for a number of years in my late 30s and 40s. And I took up Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is something that I, that I still do. And now I'm doing, uh, doesn't, they don't have belts. When you ask them, do you have a belt? They say, what's a belt? Because when you get in a street fight, they don't care if you have a belt. And um, we do what are called urban combatives, 
I've been training urban combatives the last two years. Well, what, what happens is when somebody goes and changes their style, they give up their belt. And they start back from the beginning. And it takes tremendous humility to do that because they may have worked 10 years to earn that black belt and now they give it up to learn a new style. Something that, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu a few years ago and this guy comes in from another, uh, another style and he's got his black belt on and his gi, but the style he trained in, in, in Judo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you train with a very heavy gi because you're constantly grabbing, right? You're, you're doing, you know, you're throwing all these different moves. And he comes in with this really light key on. And by the end of the evening, he was in shreds. He, he still had his black belt, but he was in shreds because he got thrown around like he never imagined before. And he never came back again. His, his ego was, was damaged. But to learn something new, you have to humble yourself. You can't, you can't learn the Word of God. And I'll tell you, this is something worthwhile to do. When you come to the Word of God each day, disregard your previous belt. Come back in total humility and total openness to receive what God has for you. Because if there is any, any pride, it's going to immediately block what God is going to teach you. In, in Revelation 3.17, this, this is the tragedy of the last church of history is that they're filled with pride and arrogance. And the church of Laodicea, right? Look at what Jesus says. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. But that's, a, that, that, that's again, that's a person who thinks, who thinks they know. And you know what's, what's sad about this? If you've ever seen, and you can see, I mean, different Christian programs have done this, and I see this in the, the political realm too. They go somewhere and they ask people questions. So they'll put a mic in their person's face and they'll say, well, what was the year the United States of America was founded? I mean, these people give these ridiculous, like, 1951, right? 1960. Who was the first president? And they'll be like, uh, Obama, no, no, you know, Lincoln. And they give these answers, and, just, and, and they're just showing the total ignorance, the ignorance of people. Well, they do it with churches. Bill Maher did this in really mocking Christianity. And I'll tell you something, he made a good point. Sometimes the world is better at exposing us than we are exposing ourselves. But Bill Maher went and they put, they put the mic in front of people's faces and they, they asked them, could you, name, could you name three of the apostles? Could you, could you name, could you name the, the three names of God? Right? They asked them these, these, these silly questions and they got, they got these ridiculous answers. And again, all it did was it exposed their biblical ignorance, but it also exposed their pride because these are people who think they go to church, they're fine. Right? They're fine. They, they, they know it all. They, they have it all together. And meanwhile, what does Jesus say of them? You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. It, it takes humility to understand. It takes humility to learn. You know, just, I've been in the Word of God 
daily for 40 years. Consistently, studying it systematically, methodically, reading it, meditating on it, memorizing it, studying it, and practicing it. You know how much I've learned in that time? 40 years. I've learned that much. And I am extremely aware of that every time I come to the Word of God. That I have only, I have only literally touched the tip of the iceberg in what I have learned. In fact, let me say this to you. That's true about everything in my life. You know, as I'm getting older, and I know, look, the average, the average age of a man in America is like 73 years old. I come from a family, and my father lived into his 90s, my mother's 96. I don't know what God has for me. I don't, I don't have any great desire to live to be, you know, 90 years old. But as, I, as I'm approaching this time in my life, I realize there is so much to learn. There is so much more to learn. Because I've only learned a little bit. But that I think that is an attitude that keeps you learning. That is an attitude that keeps you in the word of God. I see people, they've been in the church for a year, and basically, they know it all. Again, their life is a mess, because they haven't practiced anything, but they know it all. All right, number five. The word is understood through faith. I want you to watch this in Matthew chapter 16, 5 through 12. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus being aware of it said to them, oh you of little faith, I want you to notice that. Now watch. Why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand? Or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. It says, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I want you to notice here the connection between faith and understanding. They did not understand why. Jesus rebuked them because of their lack of faith. You must believe that the Bible is God's word to understand it. If you do not believe the Bible is God's word, what is it? Again, it's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's all foolishness to you. Just foolish words. But it's key. When we pick up the word of God and we take it into our hands, if you're going to understand it, you must believe that it is God's word. To not believe is to immediately just cut off your ability to understand. The, the word of God is, is essentially, it's the radio. Lord, bear with me in my trying to illustrate something so wonderful and so spiritual. But it is the radio through which he communicates with us. 
Without faith, he can't communicate with us. Without faith, what you have is you have a radio without batteries. Faith is the battery that enables us to receive God's message of salvation, of healing, of peace, of joy, of guidance, of love and forgiveness, of grace and mercy. Without faith, those things, they will not flow into our lives. So faith, faith is an, an absolute condition of being able to understand the word. Number six, understanding the word takes effort. Luke chapter 6, 46 through 48, he says here, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. I want you to to see this, again, dug deep, a principle of life. To get something out of something, you've got to put effort into it. If you're not getting out of something what you want, it's likely you're not putting the effort into it. And this is true of a marriage. This is true of raising children and a family. It's true of of working in your career or any other things that you're doing. You need to put effort into something to get something really good out of it. You ever see fly-by-night, flaky people that, you know, they come and they, you know, they may be engaging in something, but they put no effort forth and they are getting nothing out of it. Then they, you know, they flake off and they run to, you know, run to something else. You get out of what you put into it. With the word of God, if you want to get tremendous blessing from it, you must dig deep. And again, digging deep, digging deep. Have you ever, you ever dug a deep hole? You know, at first, at first you just kind of, you kind of move the, 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 the grass, right? The humus. And then, you're, you know, it's easy, you know, you dig through the topsoil. And then you get down to the subsoil. And in the subsoil, it's rocky. It's a little more dense. And then you go, you go deeper and you get, get into what is called the weathered rocky bedrock. And that's where you can't even dig with a shovel anymore. You've got to take out a pick. And you've got to be able to break up to be able to get a, a, a shovel of, of dirt and stone out of it. It takes effort to study and learn the word of God. It, it's, listen, it's not for the weak need. It's not for the wimpy. Look, we realize, we realize that I mean, very clearly here in the ministry that we've been involved in for these years. People who learn the word of God are people who dig deep into the word of God. All right, last, number seven. To understand the word of God, you must put it into practice. In Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When have you really learned something? 
When have you really learned something? You've learned something when you do it, but you've learned something when you do it habitually. When you truly have learned something, it has become just a, a consistent habit in your life. How do you come to learn something like that? You practice it. You, 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 can, you continue to do it repeatedly over and over. And listen, when it comes to practice, some of you are new believers. You're going to crawl at first. So you're going to look around and you're going to see somebody there. They're sprinting and doing hurdles. And you're going to feel like, oh, I'm nothing. No, no, no. In God's eyes, you're his little child. You're his little baby. And you're going to crawl. And as you continue to practice crawling, eventually you're going to start to walk. And as you continue to practice walking, you're going to begin to be able to run. And then as you begin to be able to run, you're going to begin to be able to sprint. But that's, that's the process of putting something into practice. The practicing Christian, again, they build their house upon a rock, a rock of bedrock. The person who does not practice their Christian faith, they build their house on sinking sand. We'll talk passionately with you for, for a, a minute here. You know how many people I've seen come in and out of this church who would sit and listen to the word of God proclaimed week after week after week and never put it into practice? And then when the storm came, the marriage falls apart. The family falls apart. Their faith falls apart. Their careers fall apart. Everything falls apart. Because they didn't put it into practice. We see here very clearly, you must practice the word of God. It must be put into practice. Or you haven't learned it. You haven't truly come to understand it until you put the word into practice. I am a crazy practitioner. With, 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 uh, I mean, I'm maybe, if you lived with me, you would drive, I would drive you crazy. I think I'd drive my wife crazy. Believing in, in like, when I find something of value, not, not just in the Word of God. It could be something about health, something about nutrition, something about money and investing. Just when I find something that is just valuable, I know, don't let it get away. You find, you find this, this principle, this law, this, this word of wisdom, you don't let it get away. You, you capture it and you put it into practice. Because when you capture, when you capture these gems and you put them into practice, they pay wonderful dividends in future days. They, they bring blessing. They, they, they bring strength. Right? They bring peace into your life. When you, when you capture them and put them into practice. But to not put them into practice, you're just heading, you're heading for crises. You're, you're, you're heading for disaster. This um, ending passage here in Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27, is Jesus' final call and application on what I call 
the Christian code of honor. What is the Christian code of honor? The Christian code of honor is the Sermon on the Mount. And that's Matthew chapter 5 through 7. That's, that's the Christian code of honor. That's right there. You know what? Do you understand what a code of honor is? You, you live. You have a code. Well, the, the Christian code of honor is the Sermon on the Mount. That's our code. That's how, we should be, that's how we should be living our lives out each day. And again, the key to applying the Christian code of honor in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is you have to put them into practice. I'm going to talk to you in a couple weeks on a Sunday morning about the Christian code of honor and what Jesus has said to us as to how we are to be living. Because when you take, when you take that again, you will build your house firmly upon the rock. So our final application here, I think, uh, again, my intent in coming to this message today, by the way, do you live with intention? <laughs> do you ask yourself why you're doing things? Even, even little things, do you, do you ask yourself the question, do you get up in the morning, why am I getting up? Right? Why, why am I doing the things? Maybe you sit down and you're married and you sit down and you have breakfast with your spouse and you ask yourself, the that's, by the way, that's, that's important stuff. Those are these little things. Everything little, right? It, it's all important. And you ask yourself, you know, okay, what's my intent in having breakfast with my spouse? Is it, is it just to gobble down a bunch of Rice Krispies? Having dinner? I mean, think about breakfast, maybe lunch, dinner, talking about an hour a day, seven hours a week, maybe more, over the course of a year. Think about the, you know, the, the opportunity you have there. But just asking yourself, you know, what are you doing here today? Why'd you come here today? Some people, it's just a habit. Churches are filled with people who just go to church because it's a religious habit. There's no, there's no clear intention of going to want to experience God, to know God, to put our... Put our lives into the very hands of the potter and say to him, now for this next hour or so, shape me and mold me and conform me into the very image of your son. But asking yourself that, those, what, what is your intention? And I do that. I, I, I look at my life and with the things I do on a daily basis. What is my intention in doing this? What was the intention of preaching this message to you? The intention was that you would develop a great love and appreciation for the word of God. That you would have this love and this joy. Appreciation for the word. And that, that coming to that place where you have that love and appreciation for God's word, you come then and what you do is you see you experience the Lord. So we don't, we don't worship the Bible <laughs> I think some years ago, some people accused me of, you have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the Bible. And they said, you just, you know, it's living word, community church. It's the word, and you talk about the word all the time. No, we don't worship the word. We worship God. We worship God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the, the only that should be worshiped. But we, we have a great appreciation and love for the word because it's through the word, right? It's through the word that we experience him. We experience his healings. We experience his salvation, his joy, his peace, 
his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, his power. It's essentially there that, that we, essentially, through the word, he embraces us. That was my intent in preaching this message to you today. That you would have a great appreciation for God's word. And that it would bring you into a deeper experience and into that embrace. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you, Lord God. I thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, every day for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that that you have, Lord God, chosen me, I don't know why, to know your word, to preach your word, to teach your word. I thank you for the appreciation and love, Lord God, that you've given to me and to the people in this church for your word. I pray that you would increase it today as we wrap up this service. For through it, Lord God, we know you. For through it, Lord God, we experience you. For through it, Lord God, you embrace our very lives. And all of this, Lord God, on this morning we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Just stand with me. We'll open the altars if you would like to come forward for prayer. And we're just going to seek God in a deeper way.